you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Why, good morning. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike. You found the Down East Mike Podcast coming to you live from Down East Maine. It's a podcast for the impaired Uh, on some level. This is episode uh, 65, number 65, news and commentary for November 5th, 2022, uh, Saturday. Yeah, we've made it to Saturday. Just want to give a special shout out to all of those quiet quitters out there, those that are considering to begin quiet quitting. If you're moving along that path of just quietly doing what is necessary to get by. We commend you and we salute you and wish you well in your journey down that quiet quitting road. Our motto here on the Down East Mike podcast is some of this is whimsy, some of it's true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. We've given you the date. You know what day it is. Uh, We should look at uh, the weather Right now, the current weather, it's about 53 degrees. The skies are fair. There's a little bit of a moon hanging out there. The winds are from the south at 7 miles per hour. The humidity is 86%. Dew point is 49. We'll get into the full forecast in a minute. So you'll know what's going on with the weather as well. Anyway, this is Saturday. And in our podcast today, we have... Academic standards declining. That's a headline from 1976. Seems like a headline from today, doesn't it? Computer issue forces election recount. And that's from 1976. A departing president's pension will be $90,000 a year. Doesn't seem like barely enough to get by on. And then Maine's arachnid with an attitude... That is a very special little critter, and we'll take a look at that one. Let's look at some headlines, international headlines right now. Details emerge in Paul Pelosi attack, a break-in, a conversation, 911 call, and then violence. And that's how that progressed. We'll have that. We'll have the full picture there soon, I'm sure. Tornadoes rip through a Texas, uh, northeast Texas, causing injuries and destroying 50 homes. Uh, We have Biden predicting that the Democrats will take the Senate and they have a chance to keep the House in the midterms. Pope Francis thrilling a small Gulf Catholic community with a big mass. The U.S. is going to fly a supersonic bomber in show of force against North Korea. Everything's going great out there. And Twitter layoffs were so chaotic, one employee was kicked off the company systems in the middle of a meeting. So we're going to have a meeting about layoffs, and then we'll fire people that are in the meeting. That's pretty neat. Um, Let's look at the main headlines. We have some main headlines for today. Uh, Early voting in Maine is going smoothly, unlike in some states. The Maine Warden Service is asking for permission on illegally killed moose and injured eagle. That's a sad story. Maine hospitals are struggling to maintain or manage the surge in pediatric RSV cases. 
not to be confused with RSVP. Three neighboring main towns have different politics, but share worry about political division. Well, that's everywhere. Maine Biomass Company files for bankruptcy. And uh, I guess there's some controversy there because that company was the beneficiary of quite a few state funds and grants. And uh, then they, you know, they spent that money on travel and cell phones and dinners. And now they're gone bankrupt. We don't have a word of the day. We thought it'd be neat to do a place name of the day. We found one, Gottingen, G-O-T-T-I-N-G-E-N. And uh, we've, it was referred to the suburbs of Halifax, Nova Scotia, were called Gottingen at the request of a number of people of the neighborhood. And that was in 1764. It's named after the Prussian city in Hanover. Now, hang with me on this because it's got a main connection. We're going to pull that thread through here. So Gottingen Street, that was back in the day when this correspondent was living in Halifax. Gottingen Street was considered a very tough area. You didn't, you didn't go there. You didn't want to go there at night on the weekend, you know, alone, because you'd that was a very rough area, Gottingen Street. But back in 1764, I, I guess not, not as much going on. I think it was because it was close to the shipyard, you could just get off your shift and walk up the hill and hit the pubs. The origin of the Gottingen lay in a village called Gutengi, first mentioned in a document in 953 A.D., and the city was founded northwest of that village between 1150 and 1200 A.D. In medieval times, the city was a member of the Hanseatic League and hence a wealthy town, Gottingen. All right, where's our main connection? Well, Henry Wordsworth Longfellow went to, uh, he went to school there. And that's in Gottingen, and that's where he got some of his training. He did a little sketch. You get a picture of it. My book and a friend. It shows it's a self-portrait of uh, Longfellow looking at the book, and his friends looking at him looking at the book. And he looks like he's smoking a very fancy pipe. Probably spent both of them are smoking pipes actually. When I look at this picture, definitely a period piece. Uh, birthdays today. Happy birthday to Henry of Belfast. Henry will be 75 today. He's a very proud Mainer. He once took an Oldsmobile apart and rebuilt it with a five-gallon bucket of parts left over, and it still ran. Actually, that is whimsy. I made that up. But based on a true story, that was uh, Frances McDormand, the actress from Fargo. Now, her uncle, her great-uncle, lived up in on the island there in Nova Scotia. And her great uncle was legendary for, he tore apart the engine of an Oldsmobile like in 88 or something like that. And uh, he put it back together again and didn't know where everything went. He had a five gallon bucket full of parts from that car and it still ran. I don't know what parts he left, you know, didn't put back in the engine. Maybe it was like a, I can't even speculate, but he had a five-gallon bucket left over. He didn't know where those went, and the car still ran. All right, let's look at headlines from 19, this day, November 5th, 1976. 
And President Carter was pledging at that time an aggressive administration. He pledged to move aggressively in keeping his promises to the American people, despite the narrowness of the margin by which he won his presidency. At his first news conference since winning the election, he said there was a strong possibility he'd recommend a tax cut upon taking office in January if the economy is as sluggish then as it is now. The headlines from yesterday, and they match up pretty nicely with today. He changed his position somewhat on how he would react if the Soviet Union were to invade the independent communist state of Yugoslavia. In debating Ford during the campaign, he'd ruled out sending U.S. troops if the Russians marched in, but Thursday night he said that option is a possibility. Nice to know things have changed. President, uh, outgoing President Ford was uh, slated to receive a salary of uh, 90500 a year for his pension and a staff fund of 96000 a year for staff in office. It's noted that the Secret Service will protect him around the clock for the rest of his life, and under the presidential retirement law, Ford will be given office space suitably furnished and equipped in a federal building, and he'll be able to send mail without postage. The office would probably be located somewhere around Washington since Ford said he'd move back to his home in suburban Alexandria, Virginia. Send a mail without postage. I would treasure that that letter from Ford if it came in without postage on it. Well, this was a this movie must have been a dog, and I don't. I certainly don't remember it, and wonder if you do. But it was Shout at the Devil, Lee Marvin and Roger Moore, with Barbara Perkins, Ian Holm, and Rene Koldehoff. It was billed as the greatest American adventure ever filmed. Just an awful looking picture. Filmed with all the spectacle of King Solomon's Mines, the drama of African Queen, the passion of snows of Kilimanjaro, and the majesty of Lawrence of Arabia. It is a spectacular adventure you will always remember and a beautiful love story you will never forget. An epic so vast it took two years to create and a whole continent to contain. Boy, what a stretch, huh? Lee Marvin shouted the devil. Now we have to go look that up and see if it's really as bad it was billed to be. That was on this day, 1976. And what else do we have from this day? The soft tones were playing at the helm of Brewer. The happy hour was five to seven. There was a bluegrass country music and bluegrass show uh, at the Bangor Auditorium. Red Eye and Eddie C., the Danville Junction Boys, and the Bells, $3 a head. And Car Wash with George Carlin, King of Hatch, Monty Python and the Holy Grail was playing. Set cinema back 900 years, it says. Uh, also on this day, 1976, computer problem was hinted at in a recount. The city clerk, Doris Wright of Eastport, was indicating that a recount has been asked for by a state senate candidate of Eastport after it was discovered early Wednesday morning that the four-way race 
produced 1,294 ballots from a total of 1,234 cast. And they blame this issue uh, on one of the digital electronic calculators, which was used by one of the ballot counters. And the city clerk felt that the count problem may not be as serious as it may seem. So even back then, they were having problems with their computer uh, election machines. Uh, other headlines, War Invaders, War Evaders, sorry, put hopes in card of the 25,000 Americans, expatriates living in Canada because of their opposition to the Vietnam War are said to be hopeful Jimmy Carter's election may be the stepping stone to a more liberal amnesty program. Everybody's happy that there is a chance for a better amnesty, said Jack Calhoun, a spokesman for Amex Canada, a magazine dealing with the problems of draft dodgers and deserters. Also on this day, a woman was rescued from the Atlantic. An ocean liner turned back and rescued a 64-year-old woman nearly three hours after she fell overboard into the South Atlantic, 1,400 miles from Cape Town. The ship's captain was reporting that incident. He reported uh, reported it when the 36,000-ton Windsor Castle docked in Cape Town after a voyage from Southampton, England. Academic standards were seen as being eroded at University of Maine at Orono. Graduating with distinction is no longer particularly distinctive, said the Task Force on Undergraduate Education. Academic standards are eroding according to a 150-page study on undergraduate education that's been in preparation for two years. Generally, neither upon admission nor upon graduation do undergraduate students demonstrate adequate skill in composition, reading, or mathematical skills, says the report. The erosion of standards is not unique. It's a subject, is a topic of national discussion in wake of grade inflation, declining college board scores, and a feeling on the part of some college educators that students are not so well prepared as they used to be. And reevaluation of some innovative programs that didn't work. They need to take another look at how the curriculums put together. How about this day in 1894? Uh, we had Jamaica Ginger in court in Belfast, Maine. It's from uh, Waldo Court on Saturday. There was a liquor case different from any before heard at this term. John Hobbs of Winterport was indicted three times for selling Jamaican ginger, and cocoa, wine, and malt. Doesn't that sound awful? After all the testimony was in, Judge Chirot said to the county attorney, in substance, I've waited all through this trial to see if any testimony would be introduced to show that Jamaican ginger and cocoa wine and malt were intoxicating liquors within the meaning of the statute. I've seen nothing to show that the particular ginger and cocoa wine sold by the respondent were intoxicants. I suggest you null pros this suit. The county attorney could do nothing else and a null pros was ordered on all three indictments. Uh, Hobbs said a hall dedicated with dance uh, was selling this ginger uh, cocoa wine. Somebody drank it and he said it made him drunk. 
people were said to have bought the cocoa wine and malt from this guy, got drunk and had a fight, and goes on and on from there. But that sounds really awful. A maritime attack was given up on this day in 1894. This was over in China. Uh, the idea was that the Chinese will raid the Japanese coast. It's been a, that idea has been a, abandoned. Orders have been issued to remove the torpedoes from Tokyo Bay, and navigation has been declared free. Also, the central news correspondent at Shanghai was telegraphing that the government, seeing that all attempts to st stay the progress of the Japanese in Manchuria are futile, and they've stopped discharging supplies of rice for Chinese troops at New Chang. Oh, fighting over there. We had a smallpox scare in Washington, D.C. on November 5th, 1894. The Interior Department was reopened today after an additional two days fumigation. B.M. Morris, an examiner in the Patent Office, is reported stricken with smallpox. An alarm has again been occasioned among the employees of the Interior Department. I wouldn't want smallpox on me. Uh, from Rumford, J.F. Bessie was arrested at Portland on Saturday on a charge of stealing a rifle. G.H. Merrill of Rumford Falls. He denies the stealing, but he does say he borrowed the rifle. Thomas Chambers and Mrs. Hall of Cape Elizabeth are charged with undue intimacy. They had a preliminary trial Saturday and they're held for the grand jury in a $500 each. Undue intimacy. Someone broke into the Trinity Episcopal Chapel at Woodford's and Deering. Sometimes Saturday night the altar cross was stolen. Several of the stained glass windows were smashed including the Codman Memorial Window. Mrs. Jacobs of Bath had $75 worth of jewelry stolen from her. I always wonder about those. Uh, one of Bethel's, Bethel, Maine's oldest inhabitants says that in October 1793, this section was visited by a snowstorm which covered the ground eight inches or more in good slain which lasted from October 6th to April 21st. So 1793, eight, inch, eight inches of snow in Bethel, Maine, and it stayed on the ground until April 21st. How about the story from Kittery where tuberculosis was discovered in a herd of cattle owned by Richard Rogers, and the affected stock was killed in order to prevent the de disease spreading to other herds in that vicinity. Poor cows. The schooner uh, Urist Lee uh, is unloading tin plate and pig tin from Boston at Cappin's Wharf for George Godfrey. And that's from Callis. A large whale was seen several times in the harbor on Saturday. I bet it was a humpback. The Eastport, Eastport roller skating rink will be open this week. 1894, roller skating was a big thing. The herring are reported as scarcer than usual, and they're now worth from 4 to $7, and I think that's a barrel. They have been more plentiful this year than for many seasons past. The sardine factories will close in about four weeks. Uh, the Somerset Railroad has just added its to its equipment a new snowplow, 
which is the first of its kind in Maine, if not in New England. It's a monster being 34 feet in length and weighing over 23 tons. That must be something. Uh, Benjamin Collins, an old resident of Blaine, he's 86 years of age, never saw a railway car until a few days ago. He was given a reserve seat beside the engineer and was very much pleased with his free ride over the B&A Railroad, says the Star Herald. That's a nice story. Diet in Old Tom Pie. Now this story, it's a little bit suspect, but it's certainly within realm of Down East Mike uh, veracity. Bread and water, says a certain physician, is uh, an admirable diet for those uh, who would rival Methuselah, and fasting itself is an excellent promoter of their views. Perhaps so, but to the majority, we suspect, a spiritual or intellectual existence indefinitely prolonged only by such sensual privation would not seem worth enduring. Well, what they're trying to say is you can live a long time by what you eat. There's more comfort in knowing that uh, John Weeks could, at 114 years of age, having recently married as a 10th wife, a girl of 16, enjoy a meal of pork, bread, and wine, a pint of the last, and three pounds, three pounds of voie du pois of the best. Not to uh, multiply cases, Mr. Davis, the vicar of Staunton-on-Wye, may also be mentioned, who at 103 ate of hot rolls, well-buttered, and drank plenty of tea and coffee for breakfast at dinner, consumed a variety of dishes, and supped on wine and roast meats. That's quite a story. Uh, Tom Parr's simple regimen of coarse meslin bread. All right, here's the meslin bread. It's made of several kinds of flour, green cheese, uh, preferably with onion, milk, methaglin, whatever that is, and an occasional cup of ale, cider, or perry sounds very moderate. Our friends, the quacks, would have us believe he added his elixir to this diet and that it was due only to his neglect of the precious, homely medicine distilled from herbs that, that he died in London of high feeding and the best wines. Just mind-boggling, the whole story. Uh, we had a difference, some cardinal points of difference listed between sexes. Women always show by their actions that they enjoy going to church. Men are less demonstrative. When a woman becomes flurried, she feels for a fan and when a man becomes flurried, he feels for a cigar. Is that true today? Women jump at conclusions and generally hit. Men reason things out logically and generally miss the truth. Okay. Some women can't pass a millinery shop without looking in. Some men can't pass a public house without going in. A woman never sees a baby without wanting to run to it. A man never sees a baby without wanting to run away from it. Wow. I don't know if we could publish this one today. Women love admiration, approbation, and what's this other word here? Self-immolation on the part of others are often weak, vain, and frivolous. Ditto men. Okay. A woman always carries her purse in her hand so that other women will see it. A man carries his in his inside pocket so that his wife won't see it. 
A woman can sit in a theater for three hours without getting all cramped up, catching the toothache, or becoming faint for want of fresh air, and a man can't. Wow, this is just great. A woman from her sex and character has a claim to many things beside her shelter, food, and clothing. She is not less a woman for being wedded, and the man who is fit to be trusted with a good wife recollects all which this implies and shows himself at all times chivalrous, sweet-spoken, considerate, and deferential. That's from New York Commercial. Hmm. Breakfast for all women. They're on quite a rant here, aren't they? Breakfast depends upon the point of view. Occupation and temperament have much to do with the bill of fare. The businesswoman likes her chop, cutlet, or bite of steak, bowl of oaten meal, hot biscuits, hot coffee, and a taste of fruit. She may or may not have the muscular energy to digest that quantity of food, but she eats it because her people ate it because it is her habit. Now, the housewife takes the first cup of coffee made. When her husband appears, she has coffee with an egg on toast, and when her grown son comes down, she has more coffee and perhaps a pancake with jelly. The woman in art, whether music, painting, or drama, is satisfied with a roll, a cube of sweet butter, and coffee and milk. The student finds bread and milk sufficient. And the society girl craves dry toast and tea. And the woman of the world has an appetite for tea and lemon juice. That's from the St. Louis Star, 1894. They list the fattest man as Daniel Lambert. A few days before his his death, in his 40th year, he was weighed and turned the balance at 739 pounds. I think we can top that one today. On this day in 1894, a storm was coming. Storm signals were uh, displayed along the main coast. Northeast storm signals were ordered at Portland and Eastport, Maine at 1.40 p.m. on November 5th, 1894. The storm was listed as off the coast of New Jersey Moving northeast, high northeast winds indicated on the main coast tonight. Well, I think that's about enough news. Let's look at Maine's arachnid with an attitude, Phytopus odex. It's the common jumping spider. You may have seen these around. It's commonly referred to as the bold jumping spider or bold jumper. The spider belongs to a group of uh, jumping spiders easily identified by their relatively large size and their iridescent chelicare. I probably mangled that one. Like other jumping spiders, due to their large forward-facing eyes, they have excellent stereoscopic vision. This aids them when stalking prey and facilitates visual communication with potential mates during courting. The males are 4 to 15 millimeters in length. I don't know why we can't have this in proper American sizes. They are typically black with a pattern of spots and stripes on their abdomen and legs. And often these spots are orange-tinted in juveniles. In parts of Florida, you'll see them to have yellow, orange, or red spots. 
I know they just look like a spider, right? They have four pairs of specialized eyes that allow them to see nearly 360 degrees around them. They prefer large open areas to hunt in as they actively seek and stalk prey and do not build webs to catch food. However, they do use webbing for uh, while nursing eggs or sheltering, and they use spider silk as a tether when jumping for prey or evading predators. They're common in fields, grasslands. Uh, they're frequently seen on fences, exterior walls, and gardens as well. Many jumping spiders seem to prefer flat vertical surfaces, likely because it enables them to spot and chase down roaming insects with ease. I used to work in an office that was infested with them. And the ladies that worked in the office, they seemed to take delight in pointing out to maintenance that they'd seen uh, a bunch of jumping spiders each day. There were enough flies on the window to keep them busy. Let's take a look at the National Weather Service forecast for today. Um, partly sunny with a high near 70. We'll say that's definitely an unseasonably high temperature. Southwest winds 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. And tomorrow, Sunday, mostly cloudy with a high near 69. The winds will be gusting up to 25 miles per hour. Looking ahead to Monday, 72 degrees and sunny. Sounds like a June forecast. And then it all the party ends on Tuesday back to a more seasonable temperature of 49, but still nice and sunny. That is our Down East Mike podcast for today. I hope that you and your loved ones enjoy a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. Until next time, we'll see you. A half past dead in my hospital bed trying to watch the TV. In pops the nurse, ethnically diverse, and this is what he says to me. My name is Tom, my job's the bomb. You've never met a nurse like me. Gonna pull on these gloves, show you some love, cause you've never had a nurse like me. Oh, you've never had a nurse, you never had a nurse, you never had a nurse like me. Gonna pull on these gloves, show you some love, cause you've never had a nurse like me. Over at the nursing station, they're wrapping up for the night. Cooking up some concoctions that'll keep us quiet and tight. A Tom walks by in the blink of an eye, and he's standing by the bedside. Now give me your hand by the bedstand. Fix you up right quick. I lift up your shirt and turn to the left. You're gonna feel a small prick. You've never had a nurse. You've never had a nurse. You never had a nurse like me. Gonna pull on the gloves, show you some love, cause you've never had a nurse like me. In the morning Tom's gone, but the fear lingers on Like the smell of burnt toast in the air The hospital room feels like boom And we're all beginning to despair 
They're sending me home with my memories Dreams and nightmares and such When the drugs wear off I'll steal your Tom's words Turn your head to the left and cough Oh, you've never met a nurse You've never met a nurse You've never met a nurse like me Gonna pull on the gloves Show you some love Cause you've never had a nurse like me